late bloomer, which I would recommend to anybody. I was going to ask, yeah. are you a late bloomer in other aspects? 100%. We're a family of late bloomers. This is a different kind of episode. I'm nervous, but also excited to put it out because it's about a more serious topic. My guest on today's episode is B. Hinton, aka Monica Madness. B was my first friend ever in New York City, and as soon as we met, I knew it was good vibes. She's smart, she's cool, she's super down to earth, she's beautiful, and she has a law degree from Harvard University. This is part one in a two-part discussion about biracialness, self-identity crises, and the privilege of living your life in your most natural state. If you enjoy this conversation, stay tuned to next week's part two episode. Oh, and don't forget to rate. So I am B. Hinton, also known as Monica Madness when I'm not in my professional capacity. I'm an attorney. I work in private practice and sort of entertainment, technology, intellectual property, essentially anything to do with creating, licensing, and monetizing digital content. I do it. work with influencers, esports companies, big brands, small brands, advertising agencies. You name it. I guess for purposes of this podcast, I also happen to be, as they say, a light-skinned or light-skinned uh, biracial Black woman, although I don't necessarily identify as all of those things. So I guess we'll, we can talk about that a little bit more later. And I'm also a, a personal friend to Brianna <laughs> as well. So I guess we're just going to jump right into it because you already said it. So what do you identify as? Yeah, so... I identify as Black, Mm -hmm. and I know that there are a lot of people who are, quote, biracial that will say, I'm a biracial woman, I'm both Black and white, and I've never looked at myself like that. Um, I don't use the term biracial for myself because, to me, that feels like a self-identification of two different races, which is not how I identify. I I don't think that biracial is a separate racial category on its own with its own political agenda, with its own social agenda. And so for all purposes, practically biology and otherwise, I'm Black. I'm a Black woman. Now, if you want to, if you're asking me a little more in depth, okay, what's your ethnicity? Then yeah, I'm a Black biracial woman or I'm Black. My race is Black. My ethnicity is that I'm Black and white, Italian some other stuff, mostly Italian, on that side. So that's how I like to identify. I just don't think it's a separate category. Okay, so be real. When I said, do you want to talk about your light-skinnedness <laughs> and your biracialness, yeah. were you offended? No, I actually talk about this subject a lot with my friends who are not light-skinned. And I guess we get into that. And my fiancé, who is also... Uh, biracial, but he's Black and Asian, Black and Filipino. And there are a lot of different implications for that. Like when you're you're mixed, but you're not white mixed. And also when you're male and not female, uh, the consequences of being mixed are very different. And we experience things very differently. And so this is something I talk about a lot. I have two best friends. One is 
brown skin and she's from Zimbabwe. And my other friend is black American and she's super light, just super light skinned black woman. And she growing up until Brianna uh, was my only light skinned friend. Like I've never had any light skinned friends. I've never had any biracial friends before. I don't know. It just never really happened. All of my, a lot of my friends have been African, actually. I guess it's just been a consequence maybe of where I've been or who I vibed with. But because of that, color comes up a lot. Like we talk about it. Like I've been treated differently in certain contexts than my friends have, or my friends have tried to leverage how I look in order for us to get certain things. It's always been, yeah, it's always always been a part of my life. So not offended at all. First, I want to tackle, I like what you said about mixed people who aren't mixed with white. I like that. So that is true because I never, I don't really think about that. There are a bunch of people who are mixed. And then when you say mixed, you do automatically think about mixed with white. Mm-hmm. Like you don't think of like a Bahamian and a Jamaican are mixed. Or let's get a little more specific. We have friends who are Asian, who are married to other Asians, but they're, they have their different ethnicities, right? Like one's yeah. Japanese, one's Chinese. And so for the average person out there, they just lump these people together in one category, but obviously there are a lot of differences with respect to culture, even though there are similarities, there are differences. And so it begs the question, is that still considered mixed? Maybe it's not biracial, but it's still some sort of like multi-ethnic relationship that we don't normally recognize. I feel like a lot of the identity crises that people have, the tragic mulatto stories are always, are usually centered around the black white experience, but I don't think that's by mistake. I don't think that's by mistake because usually the tragic mulatto story is the same. They're different people, but you can always guess what the the similarities are going to be. There's a white mother involved. There's a white community or family involved. The father may or may not have been in the picture, but the, the mother's usually definitely white and they grew up in a white area, definitely went to white schools. And the sort of identity crisis and not understanding where to fit in usually comes as a direct consequence of white supremacy and white institutions. And so when you have someone who is not white, right, they're they're Black and Filipino, obviously you don't necessarily need to be white to adhere to certain white supremacist thinking, but it's a different structure. You know what I'm saying? Like you're not, it's not white versus Black anymore. You're talking about two groups of people of color who may also have their differences and there might be some stereotyping and biases within that, but it's a very different overall structure than being right in the middle of this white supremacist institution when one of your parents is white and the other is black. Now I'm thinking about myself because you're Mm. right. And then that again is also another privilege within itself of being that kind of biracial that I was very oblivious to because yes, I do know Mm -hmm. that there are other mixes besides the black and white but you're right when I do think about biracialness I do just immediately think about a black and white story but that's not all it is and that isn't what it has to be like being mixed doesn't have to be the source of crises or not fitting in there are a number of people who are technically mixed or biracial or multiracial who don't necessarily have to go through the same things that we go through or our group of people go through seem to have to go through at the rate that we do.
is the differences between a male mixed struggle and a female mixed right. struggle? Because you're right, there is a difference. There's a big difference. There's a huge difference. So, okay, so where do we be at? So, the mixed like black guy. So, my fiance David. So we'll call him David from from now on. Is black and Filipino. Okay, but this also is the case if he was black and white. Like, let's say that I had a brother. I'm an only child, but let's say that I have a brother and he looks very similar to me as far as skin color, hair type, all of that type of stuff. He, in the world, is considered a black man. Yes. He's considered a black man. Yes. Period. Like, we know when we look at him that something else is going on. There's something else going on there. I see that curl. I see this, that, and the third. But from other Black men, from Black women of all types, like, that's a Black man. And Dave and I were actually just talking about this, and he was saying that when he goes into the world, the assumption is that he's down. The assumption is that he's a Black man and he's down, and he has to do something to show that I'm not really trying to mess with y'all. I don't consider myself Black. And that's no matter how light he is on the scale, right? Like, I'm, you're Black. You're the cool Black friend to the white guys, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. You're, like, you're acceptable to, like, white institutions or whatever, but you're still cool, and you could probably play sports, and you could probably dance, bro, and all this other stuff. There's this acceptance, yeah. right? When it comes to women, it's guilty until proven innocent. I'm going to assume that you're not down, or I'm assuming that you think you're better than this other person or you hold these certain you know what I'm saying you're this other until proven otherwise and we back before the pandemic we used to go out to like clubs and lounges and bars and stuff like that and like it got to the point where I didn't want to go out anymore and or I get a little anxiety before we go out okay you know what I'm saying the the stairs, the like, it, it was just, it was a lot. The animosity coming towards us. And it's not, and it's not necessarily wait, because wait. I'm like. Okay, that's what I wanted to ask. What is the animosity? What was the animosity? So here's the thing. And this is the thing about backing up a bit, like the term light skin and then being biracial. I don't consider myself a light skin person because I consider light skin people, light skin black people in the traditional sense that we think of just a black person that happens to be light. I'm light because I have a direct parent that is full on white. And it's not just about my skin color, my features. I have straight, long, straight hair. This is my natural state. I have not one curl in my head, never have. So I have very wider features. Like my mom compared, if you looked at a picture of my mom, who's very, who's dark skinned straight up dark skinned black woman, you're like, wow, you got a lot from the other side. So I don't necessarily consider myself in the same group. It's just like that, the everyday, like light skinned black woman. Because there's a difference. And we see this when we're going out because it's not just, oh, she's light skinned. It's, oh, that's what he likes. Um, oh, you know what I'm saying? Like one of the, oh, those others. Those others that be in the music videos, those foreign women that like Lil Wayne likes, you know what I'm saying? It's like that type of thing. So there's a lot more to it than just the skin color. It's about how I'm presenting altogether. People aren't assuming that I'm black. They're not talking to me. Like they just see me from afar and see my features and make assumptions about my biological makeup, about what I think and who I am. 
and now all of a sudden who he must be because he this is what he wants. But the, the gag is we're both we're both mixed, we're both black and something else, yeah. but he's considered like the black guy who's with this other kind of chick. And then I've been out in clubs and I've seen dudes talking to just like just the white women or just the real like all and, and then they'll come and find me. So I can see how people are grouping me together. We I, get more of the hate and he gets more of the acceptance. We'll be honest. I totally have had those thoughts. I have totally had those thoughts. And I can think of examples with my brother as well, where I just see him, but then he's only wanting to date women with the straight hair. He doesn't want a woman with kings. And then I'm also on the end where, because he was my brother, I also was hearing what he was saying behind the scenes. So that was also affecting me. And that was getting projected onto girls that did look like you were I would look at a video and I would be like oh there's that kind of girl there of course yeah and it's a hard position it's a hard position for everybody to be in although I can only speak from my personal experience on the other side I get it I happen to be someone who is very in tune to the nuances of racial identity of racism in this country, the history of interracial relationships and all this type of stuff. I didn't grow up around white people. I think that's part part of the reason I probably never ended up having biracial friends and stuff because I'll be the first to admit nine times out of 10, you might, you, the person you meet might have some issues or might think certain things about themselves or have, like, I'll admit it, but I grew up in a black family. Like I grew up with black people only in a black neighborhood. I went to school with black people only and Spanish people until I was in uh, seventh grade. That was the first time I lived in a white neighborhood or went to school with more than two white people in the entire school. So I had a very different kind of socialization growing up. It was just like, you're black. Obviously I knew I was white because right. crack little jokes or whatever, but when I look at my mother, it's very obvious to me that I'm a black person and her being on the like darker brown skin spectrum, it just, it was one of those things that like, you just couldn't think like, why would I think that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm better than someone else? My own mother, right? Who I'm in a house with and everybody else in my own family. How could I think that I'm above these people? But I get that most people who share my identity, my biological identity, aren't growing up in the same circumstances that I am in. And so just like you take in certain messages from your brother and from other people and you project those on others, people like me take in those messages, that privilege, whether they're conscious of it or not, and they they project it out into the world. I get the hate. Obviously, there are limits because I don't know you like that. So I got to balance it out with the understanding of social context. And the realities of, of, hold on a second, at least give me a chance to, to show you that it's not necessarily what you're thinking. But I will say, I, once I've always adhered to, and it, it wasn't necessarily something that I did consciously, but it, but later on, like in recent years, having these conversations, looking back at how I have acted over the years, it's like, oh, okay, I see what I was doing. But I don't talk to people like your brother. You know what I'm saying? At least if they show me, that's what they're doing. I've had people over the years, of course, like give me compliments, not necessarily someone that I'm dating or anything, but just the guy at the cash register. Like I remember being 
way back in the day when I was in college and we had this union with food eateries inside and stuff. And there was one probably like Wendy's or something. And it was this guy, this black guy who was the cashier. And I, I used to have short hair. Like I cut my hair off. I had the line up just a couple inches long. I've had all types of, of hairstyles. And so at the time I had really short hair and he was like, oh, I really like your hair. I don't usually like short hair, but it looks really good on you. And, you know, I could have just taken the compliment and rolled with it, yeah. but it's, that's a loaded compliment. So loaded. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know what that means. Yeah. I know there's something deeper. What do you mean you don't usually like short hair, but on me, it's okay. What is that? Like short hair on who? Mm-hmm. It, there's obviously more to that comment. There's a certain texture of hair that it's okay. It's okay if it's short, if it's this texture. It's okay if it's short, if it looks like it was on purpose that you cut it. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm lighter skinned or I look this, my face looks this way. And so like it cancels it out. So I've never been the type to just take a compliment because it's a compliment. And I'm very vocal about, about questioning that. What do you mean? What does that really mean? I personally don't talk to people who are colorist or who feel like they need to put down other groups of women in order to lift me up or lift people up who look like me. Um, or who otherwise seem really fixated on things like color and hair texture and stuff like that. And I think if more of us did that, we would see a social shift. Just like we tell white people, if you see something, say something. If your friends are saying something, then like do something. Men are going to continue to do that if they know that it works. If you're flattered by somebody giving you a compliment on your skin color, but just by virtue of your skin color or something like that, or your hair texture or something that's implying that, if you find that flattering, like guys are going to continue to do it. If we as a group of people are like, nah, that's not actually the type of attention that I'm looking for, like whatever, eventually there'll be a social shift. And then they also expected, because I was light-skinned, to have hair like you, the straight hair. And I didn't have that hair. I have <laughs> very 4C hair. And yeah. I remember when I was younger, it was very hard for me to comprehend on my end. Like, I couldn't comprehend it either, because I would be like, why? Like, why? Like, why is it so key? Why isn't it a little more smoother? Of course, it's a whole journey to love your hair as a Black woman, which I am still mm-hmm. continuing to do. But I've come light years from when I just remember thinking in middle school, especially like the school I went to a, a very white private school. So it was also coupling that with not feeling accepted and wanting to also just look a little more white as I already presented mm-hmm. to the white people. So it was that. And then now it's just... I've come to realize that just because I'm light-skinned doesn't mean I have to have this straight hair. So my question to you is, do you acknowledge that privilege of having straighter hair? Absolutely. Yeah, like I still remember, and if when my friend, who I'm about to implicate in this story, sees it, she's probably going to laugh. But I remember being back in college and a really good friend of mine, actually two really good friends of mine that I'm still friends with, we all live together. And so this was like junior, senior year or something. And we were going out and getting ready to go out to the club and they're like doing their hair. 
and here I am, like, I'm just, like, kind of getting ready or whatever, and then I, I, like, comb through it a little bit, and I flip it into this, like, little messy bun that you do when you're about to study, and I'm, like, I'm, I'm ready to go, and then, like, well, I was, like, we have to spend all this time to make ourselves look presentable and desirable for who it is that we're looking for, whether it's a man or a woman, but you have to, but especially when you're in heteronormative relationships, right? So like when you're out there looking for a man or you want to just look sexy or whatever, you feel this pressure to not only not wear your natural hair in its natural state, but just not wear your natural hair, even in a natural hairstyle. Like I have to cover it up. I have to do this. I have to do that. Or I don't look like my, my, my hair doesn't look like it fits the rest of my outfit and I'm not, you know, it's yeah. not professional to look like this, and it's also not cute and sexy to look like this either, whereas I've never cared about my hair, but that's because I have the privilege of not caring about my hair. Like, I cut it off all the time. It grows back. Like, I, I dye it. I usually have, now I have really colorful hair, but it's a pandemic. I haven't been going out and doing that, so now we're doing the, the blonde, but I never really do it. Like, I wash my hair. I let it air dry. And whatever happens, like I've never been the type to spend hours or even like significant minutes prepping my hair. I will literally put it in a messy bun and go to work, go to the club, go on a date, whatever. And it's never been an issue. That is the privilege. The privilege is being able to just go and be yourself in your natural state and not have to worry about whether you are professional enough or what whether you are attractive enough or desirable enough no one no guy has ever had an issue with my hair because it wasn't done yes yes I can think of a specific example that happened just a year ago when I was working at Lord and Taylor but it was in the office and as I've told you before from stories it's a straight up white office there's no black people there was like three other people black girls so I when I first started working at Lauren Taylor I just always have my hair in braids one because still self-conscious truthfully of my hair texture and two because I grew up with permed hair I still don't even know how to take care of my hair and there's nothing there's no marketing out there or there's no stuff for us to learn how to truly take care of our hair what is marketed to us is to perm our hair and call it a day that's it. It's now we're starting to see these really great hair influencers who are showing you that you should be pre-pooing, you should be doing all these steps. And then now it's also, it's okay, finally I have all the answers and the tools, but it's, that's 12 steps, you guys. Like now I have to adjust to 12 steps. That's a lot. It's a lot for a girl. And you're a full grown adult at this point. If I didn't learn that when I was like five ago growing up, like now you expect me as an adult yeah. to like learn all of this stuff. Yeah. It's a, it's a hard transition. It's a hard turn. <laughs> um, but anyway, so that's mainly why when I first went natural, I would just keep it in braids because it was just the easiest thing for me to do. It was presentable because I love that is a cute. It was presentable. It was cute. It didn't look crazy. And that's in quotes, crazy. But I remember, so I was working at Lauren Taylor and basically the first year, the entire year I had my hair braided and every time I would take out my hair to redo my braids, it would be over the weekend. So I didn't have to go to the office with my hair out. I didn't have to figure out how I was going to do my hair. So I had that kind of schedule. 
And then, like I said, this whole hair journey, love, it is truly a journey. So I think after a year, I just realized like, why? Like, why am I so stressed out about this? It's my fucking hair. It is what it is. Like, it is what it, it doesn't matter. Does it, it really truly doesn't matter because what does my hair have to do with my work? It really doesn't. I like had that kind of epiphany in a sense. So I went to work and again, because I'm not used to doing the 12 steps, my hair was like, it had the word shrinkage. My hair was, it was just like down to the skull basically. And I walked it. I hadn't put in any products. I did it. I think I just washed it, conditioned it and like went. I didn't comb it out. I didn't do anything. So I went to the office and our DMM, which is basically like the vice president for the specific category that you work in. So like dresses or women's suits or whatever. So he was the manager um, or vice president for jewelry, which was the area that I worked in. He was walking behind me and I had my hair out and he was like, whoa, I didn't even notice you. I didn't even realize that was you. He didn't say anything else. He didn't even do the fake, like, white person. Oh, it's cute. He was just like, oh, it looks different. And I was just like, wow. I felt terrible. I'm not going to lie. I felt terrible. Because he was, first of all, he's the vice president. So it's, like, also that kind of dynamic. And then just to feel really outcasted like that, I was like, whoa, okay, this is why I keep my hair in braids. I, It's just too much for me. <laughs> You know what? That story makes me think like, I've been thinking about how people who have kinkier hair are dealing with the whole Zoom pandemic work environment because we make a lot of, there's like a lot of memes and a lot of jokes and commentary on like how you dress, right? Because that's like generally applicable, like people with the pajamas on and this, I, I barely put any clothes on the entire pandemic and we can all rally together around that like common experience but just in the way that I'm not dressing up in the way that I used to when I was going to the office my hair is also not getting the same attention and like I said I don't really have to do much anyway but now I'm doing even less to my hair you know what I'm saying I it, it's two minutes before the call and I'm like okay let me put it in this butt let me pull it back I it ain't even been combed today yet but we want and it's not a problem. I've had, like I said, I have many different color hair. They could open up a Zoom and I have pink hair one day, like green hair the other day. I might have a top bun. The most I've gotten is I had the, I've won a lot of calls with an attorney. I won't say anymore, uh, but an attorney, older male. He's like, oh, I like that little, the little thing that you got, <laughs> little thing thing that you got going on. I'm like, oh yeah, you know. And I'm on the calls with white males mostly that I work with. And they look, they looking like me, hair a little off, beard grown out. We both got t-shirts on and like, that's just what it is. And obviously we make it presentable for clients, but when we're doing internal calls, even my year in review, you know what I'm saying? We're, we're being how we are in our space. And that's really the privilege. It's not necessarily special treatment. The privilege is being able to, to be just like that white person whose hair is a little crazy today, whose beard hasn't been combed out. Like I can also come through with the same thing on and a like crazy little t-shirt and like we're doing our work and it's fine. And I don't think that if I was darker, maybe even with the same, everything else the same, honestly. Or like you said, if I had curlier hair or kinkier hair or something like that, if the equivalent would be okay. Mm -hmm. 
You know what I'm saying? Like they're showing up in their natural state. That's not necessarily what will be considered professional, even for white standards, but that's okay. Like we get it where we understand, but when you bring someone else, they're not used to seeing that, like that equivalent of relaxed, then I think it could be a problem. And I'm wondering, are people showing up in bonnets on Zoom call, internal Zoom calls? You know what I'm saying? Do you feel like you still have to spend money and possibly sacrifice your health, okay, to continue to get your hair braided? or to get your hair done in some way, just so that you could show up on a one hour Zoom call for an internal department meeting. I'll tell you what, for me personally, I show up with my scarf still. I I, I come out on my scarf sometimes because sometimes it is like that where it's just, I'm at my house. I just can't get ready right now because we're also out of that oomph. We're out of that and having to get up and get ready and whatever. So it's just like, why am I just gonna not do that with everything else but then get my hair done but also I do work with one of my bosses is like a non-for-profit kind of person so I also am surrounded by that kind of person (laughs) yeah and you know what okay so one other thing I want to mention since we're, we're talking about hair is that like this this kind of dichotomy or whatever or reality starts obviously like when you're really young and one thing that I've noticed that David and I have talked about is if you see if you go out you see some kids running around playing the white kids their hair is like all over the place you know what I'm saying like it it is what it is it might have been combed it might not have been combed like the boys and the girls like it's just in its natural state they're kids they're playing when you see black kids Spanish kids even okay it's 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 obviously done it is greased down there are zigzag parts you know what i'm saying we got the squiggly sideburns going there's a million barrettes like and they're expecting their kids to come back from school or to play date with the hair intact and i'm just like i feel like we as a people need to do better you know what i'm saying like we need to within our community say enough is enough because if we're waiting for white people to give us the permission to look how we want to look it's not going to happen you know what i'm saying so we at least need to help alleviate the pressures within our community like obviously you're not going to let your hair your kids hair get all tangled there are differences of white people not necessarily combing their hair as frequently as someone else because if you have a lot of curls whatever you obviously need to keep it in a certain state so that it's not breaking off so it's not getting damaged or anything like that but there's a lot in between taking care of your kids hair and then like straight up doing it all the time. A perfect like example in the kind of celebrity space, I think, is Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wayne's uh, little girl. Yes. Her, just, her hair is just what it is. You know what I'm saying? They'll have their little pictures up. They're all dressed up and they got their hair done and she's just looking like a baby. Okay. She got the diaper on, the little t-shirt, maybe she got clothes on and her hair is just what it is. And then of course, our, our girl Blue Ivy grew up in that same kind of vein and Serena Williams, her kid, I feel, you know what I'm saying? Like her hair is what it is. She's a light-skinned, mm-hmm. biracial, little black girl who seems to have curlier hair, kinkier hair. And they like let her hair be how it is. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like we need to do that for our kids so that they don't end up feeling pressure on top of the other outside pressure that inevitably will come. I want to talk 
about the difference between curly and kinky. Okay. I think I feel like I talk to so many black girls who have kinky hair and continuously call their hair curly. And I think there's such a difference. First of all, I should ask that. If you see a difference with the definition with kinky and curly and what you just overall think about it. Yeah, so this is probably a nuance that I I haven't really thought about as much. Two things come to mind specifically, though. One, um, it makes me think about all those instances where people call themselves light-skinned and they're not light-skinned. And I was going to go into that. I was going to go into that. (laughs) Okay. Without wasting time going through the bio, the psychology of it and everything in the context of hair, because I know we're going to talk more about skin color and all that kind of stuff. But it's like the, the long and the short of it is like it's the same kind of psychology and, so, and source of insecurity and issue there yeah. probably, at least in some cases. I don't want to make sweeping generalizations because right, right. this is a little bit outside of my zone of knowledge because I obviously don't have curly or kinky hair. So I don't want to speak too much on things that I don't really know anything about. But I will say that it, it, it makes me think of the people who are talking about being light-skinned and stuff like that. And it's, girl, you're not like you're not light skin like it which is that's fine you know what i'm saying it needs to be okay to say i have kinky hair and it's not a negative thing that's what it is if there's a negative connotation with dark skin kinky hair feet certain features unless they are unless those features are taken off of people who have kinkier hair and darker skin and put on others and then all of a sudden it's cool and to be fair I'm sure there might be some a picture or two. I used to have a lot of black hairstyles back in the day. All right. Like I grew up, I used to use pink lotion. I used to do which I know anybody who uses pink lotion or has is like, why would you be putting that in your hair? That doesn't make any sense. But again, I grew up in a black household who didn't know anything about white hair. And they just taught me to do my hair. Like I didn't wash my hair every day. I wash my hair like black people wash their hair. Okay. I would, <laughs> I use pink lotion. I had squiggly sideburns back in the day. I've been there. I've been there, done that. Okay. I've been doing that. I was doing that in, in elementary school. All right. So y'all late, but I had the squigglies. I had the side ponytails. I had braids. I used to have extensions. My mom does hair. So she used to put extensions in my hair. I had the flat twist up to the waterfall, fake ponytail. Like I'm telling you, I done, I done been there. I done done that. I done done it all. But I also know that it was more acceptable on someone who looked like me than on someone who it looked otherwise. But yeah, I think it goes back to just, there's a negative connotation with kinky hair and it's cute to say curly. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Um, Just like it's cute to say light skin or or to want to be a part of that group when like you're not. And so it's holding on to whiteness, holding on to European standards of beauty. And honestly, I think there's a bigger issue of people being upset, our, our people being obsessed with hair because of this, right? Because of the issues or whatever, there's more of a some a spotlight on hair. I talk about this with, with my friends and stuff, and it's like, how many videos do you see online every day or on your explore page where someone is like, oh, look at my girl, look down here. Yes. Like there's an obsession yes. with having long hair. You know, so on the one hand, like we're trying to dismantle European standards of beauty and say that you're not better because your hair looks like this whether we're talking about a white woman or a a light-skinned black woman with straighter or curly hair or someone with hair like mine, 
Like we're trying to say that's not what we're trying to to get to. That's not the epitome of beauty. Everyone can be on that spectrum of beauty or whatever. Any hair can be good hair, as they say, but there's simultaneously an obsession with having curly hair or having long hair and focusing on the growth of your kid's hair or your hair. And I think we need to examine why we think that's something that should be spotlighted. Why do you care that your hair is longer? What does that say about what you're still holding on to and what you think is a part of like your inherent worth as a person? So I think it's also just a bigger thing of not only why are you holding on to a category of hair that isn't necessarily necessarily yours, but why are we holding on to that as a as like a way to determine our worth, a barometer, if you will, yeah. of our worth? Like the people who are in the middle, like your brown the brown folks, the like center brown folks who are like, yeah, light skin. I'm light skin. No, no, you're not. And again, that's fine. I don't know what it is. What are you trying to hold on to? Because why do you want to be the center of white supremacist thinking? Yeah. Yeah. You, why is again like why is that flattering and we shouldn't find that flattering yeah now that doesn't not to say obviously that women men whoever however you identify who are light lighter skin shouldn't be proud of who they are nonetheless or discounting any of the other experiences that they have of course that should go without saying it's not a category to aspire to we are people and it shouldn't be an overriding and deciding factor in who we are. And we shouldn't get caught up in, you have to live this way or be this way in order to be considered Black is just Black. And I think that kind of relates to this as well. There's no need to try to aspire to be a part of this category of light-skinned people. And that's not to say that you should be ashamed of that category either. It's just a category and it shouldn't hold as much power either way as it does. And by us feeding into that, we're giving it more power. know this of me but I was definitely I hated my light skin in this I was really self-conscious of it I just did the most ignorant things to try to get away from it aka I would send emojis that were darker skinned I would just call myself dark skin I was weird but you're right it is just a category but it, like younger me was just very I don't want to be part of this category because now I'm not part of the black category I'm part of this light skin category which means that I'm also ignorant I'm snobby I'm this I'm the, all the stereotypes that come with light skin in this and all these things and I am not that I am not that I am not that so do you think light skin girls do feel that maybe they're actually less than rather than better than? I think so. And I think that it comes out in different ways. It might not necessarily even be a less than. It all goes back to that whole fitting in, right? Are you trying to fit in with the white group or are you trying to fit in with the black group? And what, what stereotypes are you holding on to and biases are and insecurities are you holding on to that feed into how you present yourself in order to try and 
and fit into that category. For me, okay, so going back to as a child, I said that I grew up in a Black household with Black people, all Black, everything. So let me interrupt you real quickly. Let me also just acknowledge that you grew up in a Black household, Black this, Black, and this could also be a testament to my thought process. My mom is Black Trinidadian, but she Mm. is a very that very, in a sense, traditional Caribbean person who moves to America and wants to just live that white American dream. So I was in that kind of household where I could see my mom was Black, but she wanted everything to be very white. She wanted to fit in with the white group. She wanted to be accepted by the white community because she felt that once you get accepted by the white community, you've made it. You've accomplished something and you are doing well in America. And that's all I will say. Yes, yes. And so I think that's why, like, I have experienced it differently than you, for example. And I would say that this is probably indicative of how others may feel. Like, it's going to be very much a consequence of who their parents were, what ideals their parents had around race and socioeconomic class and all that kind of stuff, their aspirations. So the way that it came out with me is that I just, I guess I just assumed I was black because that's just what it was. And that's what I was told. And like I said, I had a lot of like black hairstyles. That was just like what it was. You know what I'm saying? At one point when I was younger, like again, when I was in like elementary and middle school, I think there was a desire to be, to present more black. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I wished that at one point that I had hair like my mom. I wish that I had hair like you because then I could more readily do the hairstyles that everybody else had in my household and my cousin and all them. And I wanted to fit in from that perspective. So I was doing it, but it was still different. Like, girl, I had Bantu knots before it was cute. Okay. And kids used to make fun of you when you rolled up with your little knots. But then I transitioned into real world. And as I get older, I realized that people aren't looking at me in the way that I'm identifying. And so I think that's where the real disconnect came. It's not like necessarily that I grew up hating what I looked like because I was trying to fit in one thing or another, but it was like this desire to appear slightly different. And for me, it was to look more Black instead of less Black. And then as I got older and realizing that people weren't going to see me in the same way, that I saw myself, namely other Black people, then it was like, oh, okay. That Then that's where I think most of, like, the issues have come in and where it's where the color and the features have been an issue for me because there's this assumption, again, that I'm this other person, that I'm not Black at all. When I, especially when I was younger, so my hair has always been super long and really dark. People used to think I was Indian when I was growing up. And, like, Indian people, like, and when I say that, they would tell me that I was Indian and then I just didn't know it. Like, I've argued with <laughs> probably hundreds of Indians at this point, no, not exaggerating. They're like, no, you're sure. Are you sure? And I'm like, I'm positive. Maybe they thought I was Spanish or some sort, but no one ever really thought that I was Black. And I think, again, that's where the difference between presenting in certain ways, like, we're both lighter, complexed, and have similar enough, like, biological makeup but we present very differently. Our hair colors are different. We have different features. And going out in the world where someone might be like, okay, that's a light-skinned Black girl. And they might not even, they might even not even acknowledge your other identities. It's just like, 
black. And that's it. And then me is, I don't know what's going on. It's something else, some kind of other person. And then it wouldn't be until I started talking that people would start to, I could see it happening in their heads. Again, I can't tell you how many times this has happened where people will see me and then I'll start talking and then they start, they look like this and then they look at my roots and they look back at me and then they look at my roots again. And you could see they're like, I, I got to, I don't know what's happening. I, I do not know what's happening. What, what is going on? I, I thought you might have an Indian accent. Oh my God. I'm just laughing because I can't even tell you how many times like just the black girl is just like staring right at your hair because she's trying to exactly what you say, figure out if you are black or not. <laughs> yeah. That has been the litmus test. I'll let me tell you, this has been happening to me since I was like five. It never yeah. fails. Like people are like very taken aback by how I speak. Also my grandmother and that family is from the South. So also have a little bit of a Southern kind of black kind of twang going on even though I'm from the northeast so people get super fucking confused and I use certain terminology that people use in the black community and then I have to realize that some people are really caught off guard by that because they're like what is this white woman saying hold on like what's going on so I all that to say I didn't necessarily hate myself but there was a time where I wished that I had blacker features because I was like do I was doing the hair I was doing other things that's how my mom looked, whatever. And so you want to present more in that way. But I don't think I ever, that's the privilege though, right? I'm still in the privileged position. So I didn't necessarily hate myself at the same time. It was just this wanting yeah. um, that dissipated. And then the real issues are cognitive dissonance or whatever came out when like I realized how other people were perceiving me and that they weren't going to be very... Uh, welcoming to me or see me as someone that's a part of their group. I was a late bloomer, which I would recommend to anybody. I was going to ask, yeah. are you a late bloomer in other aspects? 100%. Your family of late bloomers. Hope you enjoyed the show. This episode was produced by MC Ghost Kid, along with beats by MC Ghost Kid. Stay tuned for part two dropping next week. Bye-bye.